Thank you, parents and volunteers. Hope you guys have a great time in Children's Church. The rest of you can turn in your bulletin to our scripture passage for this morning, Luke chapter 24. As you're turning there, I wonder if you've ever thought, if the resurrection really happened, then how come my life doesn't look any different? Uh, You believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but you keep losing your temper. Or you just can't break the hold of of consumerism and and overspending in your life. Uh, You believe in the resurrection, but you, you, you can't stay away from those websites you shouldn't be going to. Or uh, you you just don't have the motivation or discipline to to spend time reading the Bible or praying like you think you should. Um, It can begin to feel like like the resurrection maybe doesn't really hold real power for you. Like the whole thing isn't working like it's supposed to. Or maybe you're here and, and you don't yet believe. You're just considering. You're listening. And a major roadblock to the faith for you is that you see these Christians who proclaim to believe in this God who is so powerful that he rose again from the dead, but you don't see much difference in their lives. And you're like, if if that's the evidence, I'm just, I don't know if I'm convinced. Uh, My oldest daughter, Caroline, recently got a skincare fridge. Uh, As a dad to three daughters, uh, every day is a learning experience for me. Uh, A skincare fridge, if you don't know, is just as it sounds. It's a small refrigerator for your skincare products uh, because apparently some skincare products need to be refrigerated. Uh, she was really excited about it. It arrived. She set it up in her room and, you know, just loads it full of products. And it's great, you know, we're ready for the glowing skin, this whole process to take place. Uh, but then not long after she got it, she noticed it wasn't making the humming noise it was supposed to make. She noticed a small pool of water uh, underneath the fridge and she opened it and all of the skincare products were at room temperature. And it wasn't working like it was supposed to. And it was really disappointing. Um, she got out the manual. She was looking online for ways to fix it. And, it, and there was nothing. There, you know, there's all this anticipation about the, the greatness of this skincare fridge. But then the frustrating realization that it's, it's not working like it's supposed to. Sometimes we can feel this way about the power of the resurrection in our lives. We, we hear about it. We're like, yes, we believe. And we believe that it does mean transformation for our lives Yet over time, it just feels like it's not working like it's supposed to. We just don't feel that different. So we begin to doubt its power. Um, What if there was real power for change in the resurrection of Jesus? We're in a series right now in the Apostles' Creed. And the Creed has been around for centuries. And it's united lots of different types of Christians around the world... ...from different backgrounds and it serves as this roadmap ...to some of the essential beliefs of the Bible. And today we're looking at the part of the creed that says... ...that we believe on the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. And so our passage is Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. There's more on uh, your bulletin which we will reference later. I'm just going to read the first 12 for us initially. So let's give our attention to God's word. Uh, Luke 24 beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, 
and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Father, we do, in fact, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Oh, how we need to hear from you. That's what our hearts need most. Would you open our hearts, our eyes, our ears this morning? Be at work in us by your spirit that we might know you. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two headings this morning as we think about uh, this uh, passage on the power of the resurrection. We'll look at first our doubts and secondly the truth. First, our doubts. Uh, At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been crucified. He's died. He's been buried in the tomb with this large stone rolled in front of it. And our text says uh, early on Sunday morning, the women who were spoken of uh, just before our passage, end of Luke 23, likely at least five women, um, they return to the tomb only to find the stone rolled away and Jesus no longer there. Verse 4 says they were perplexed about this. One way you can translate the word perplexed is to be in doubt. So they they stumble upon the empty tomb. They're standing there and they're in doubt. What is going on? And two angels appear reminding them of Jesus' words to them. and, And the women then go and tell the apostles and the others about the fact that, hey, he's not in the tomb. He's risen. And how do the apostles and the others respond in our text? Verse 11 But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Uh, The language here means they thought it was nonsense. Just an idle tale. They didn't believe. Peter goes and runs to see for himself if the tomb is really empty. All right, zoom out for a moment. These are Jesus' disciples and the women who were his closest followers. Uh, The inside track to Jesus during his earthly ministry heard him talk about his resurrection multiple times. They're they're literally seeing this take place and what's the initial response for them? It's doubt. It's doubt. Um, If the closest followers of Jesus had doubts at his resurrection as it was taking place, it's likely that we might have some doubts as well. Um, And and maybe we could think about these doubts as either intellectual doubts or experiential doubts. Let's talk about intellectual doubts. Um, A lot of scholars and critics have tried to offer other explanations uh, for the resurrection to prove that it didn't really happen. That that it wasn't really a, a, a true bodily resurrection of Jesus being dead and coming alive again and walking out of the tomb. But there was there had to be something else that happened. And maybe you have some of these intellectual doubts. So there are a few common Theories. I'm summarizing multiple different commentators here. And the first theory is this, that it was a case of a stolen body. That his body was stolen. That um, earlier in the gospel accounts, uh, Pilate and the guards actually anticipate 
the disciples uh, stealing the body of Jesus because they had heard rumors about this resurrection. So the chief priests and the guards, they go and actually, after the resurrection, begin to try to spread the rumor that the disciples did in fact steal the body. And since then, there have been critics who have tried to, to argue something similar along these lines. Here's the problem with the stolen body idea. It's, it's that Jesus started appearing to a lot of people after his resurrection. Paul says he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses and the body was never found. The body wasn't stolen. That's one theory. Another theory is that Jesus wasn't really dead, but he was just in a coma. Um, so somehow on the cross it worked out to where he didn't completely die, but he went into a coma. So yeah, it may have appeared like a resurrection, but, it, but it, was, it only happened because he wasn't truly dead. So he didn't actually come alive again. He just continued to be alive. The problem with this idea that he wasn't dead, that it was only a coma, is that um, Roman soldiers were experts in crucifixion. So there, there's no way they would have messed this up. Countless people witnessed Jesus' death. That's one theory. It wasn't dead. It was just a coma. Another theory that it was this coordinated lie or a hoax uh, that was just this massively coordinated effort by the followers of Jesus that they kind of got together and said, okay, here's what we're going to say. We're going to say that he really rose from the grave. And then they begin to just have a coordinated lie and then tell lots of people about it. But the problem is that a lot of those followers would end up being martyred or killed for their belief in this risen Jesus. And it's highly unlikely that someone would allow themselves to be killed for something that they knew wasn't true. Especially given the fact that a lot of the followers of Jesus didn't fully understand what the resurrection meant at this time, as our text shows us. So it's unlikely they could coordinate this consistent lie. Another issue to deal with, if this was all some made-up story, they would have to account for the women being the ones that discovered Jesus. Because in this time, um, the testimony of a woman wouldn't hold up in the court of law. So if you were to make this up, you would not have women be the first people to discover an empty tomb and start spreading the news. But these are some of the common uh, intellectual doubts or objections to an actual bodily resurrection of Jesus. And you may have some of these questions. And if so, I would love to grab coffee and, and listen. And there's just lots of great resources that speak into some of these more intellectual doubts. But maybe it's not intellectual for you. Um, you believe, uh, but you just haven't seemed to experience the power of the resurrection. Let's talk about some of these experiential doubts. Um, this is where there's a disconnect between your belief in the resurrection and your experience of that belief in your daily life. Um, it's the question of, okay, if this really happened, how come I'm not changing? Uh, it's the spiritual equivalent of why isn't it working? And if that's where you find yourself, um, two questions for personal reflection if you feel like you're just not growing or you're not changing or if you feel stuck, two questions for personal reflection. The first is this. Have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I put my faith in Jesus deep in your heart, at the very core of your being? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Um, are you receiving and resting on Jesus alone for salvation? Um, the theological word for that is justification. Uh, let's zoom in for a moment on this definition of justification. It's an act of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight 
only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Pardons all of our sins. Accepts us as righteous. Why? Jesus' work on the cross and his righteousness imputed or given or accounted to us, received by faith. That's justification. Have you been justified? Have you experienced the pardoning of all of your sins? Have you rested on the righteousness of Jesus, what he did for you? Because if you haven't, then you're not going to truly change. At least not in the way the Bible talks about it. The Apostle Paul talks about true change in Christ as an old self dying and a new self being resurrected into new life. It's almost as if there are two different people. The old self is dying, the new self is being resurrected into new life. So if you, if you find yourself maybe like, um, you know, cognitively assenting to belief in Jesus in the resurrection, checking the box, so to speak, uh, but maybe practically it's just sort of a shrug of the shoulders at the resurrection of Jesus. You know, you say you believe it, but it doesn't really hook you, doesn't excite you. It could be that you haven't really given your life to Christ. And if that's nudging on you this morning, I would love to talk with you after the service and, and hear more about that. But that's the first question to reflect on. If you feel stuck or if you feel like you're not growing or changing, have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I been justified? Second question to reflect on. Have I embraced the slow and messy process of change? Have I embraced the slow and messy process of real change? Um, Okay, so let's say you have put your faith in Jesus, you truly believe, but it just feels like you're just not experiencing that power of transformation that you were hoping for. You're hoping that by now your life would have looked different. Um, Some of this can be conditioned by the immediacy and instancy of the world that we live in right now. Um, Think about the instant access, the immediacy that your phone provides for you. Um, A few clicks on your phone right now in this moment and there will be a car waiting for you outside ready to take you wherever you want to go. Just a few clicks. Uh, A few clicks on your phone right now and you could have groceries for the week at your house within a couple hours. Done for you. Uh, A few clicks on your phone right now and you could have a personalized, wrapped birthday gift sent to someone across the country delivered before the day ends. Um, A few clicks on your phone right now and you could be on a video call with a dozen different people in different places in the world in a second. Instantly. Um, A few clicks on your phone right now and you could get a brand new book just released by an author in a different country and you could be reading it within seconds. Immediately. So much of our life happens now, immediately. If we really want something, we can get it in an instant. And you can see how that impacts how we think about change in our lives. Um, We expect to begin to just snap our fingers and be totally different. That's not how the Bible speaks about change. Uh, The biblical process of change is called sanctification. Let's zoom in on this definition. Sanctification, it's the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man, the whole person, after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Big theme of that definition, process. It's God's work. Renewed in our whole being. Enabled more and more to die into sin. 
live unto righteousness. Colossians 3 talks about it as a process that we participate in as God is at work in us where little by little we put off the old self, the sins of our old self, and little by little we put on this new clothing, this new righteousness that is ours in Jesus. Uh, We're still in January. I'm guessing some of you uh, made a New Year's resolution to be healthier. Where you said, all right, 2023, it's my year to get it together. I'm going to be healthy this year. And so first week, you get the gym membership. Statistically, it's amazing. Gym membership skyrocket in January. And, and maybe you're going to splurge and you're, you're going to go the next step and get a personal trainer this year. You've got the per- not just a gym membership, you've got the personal trainer. Uh, you, you, and you clean out the, the pantry and the fridge of all the Christmas holiday sugar and you go get fruit and veggies from the store and your kids are like what are you doing uh you drink more water than ever you're getting lots of sleep um you've got it all planned out and let's say you know you maybe stick to it for a week which is you know it's pretty good stick to it for a week but then you step on the scale and you're like how did I gain weight after that week uh or you know you look in the mirror like I thought I'd be like a little bit more toned at this point or Maybe you're, you know, you think, I thought I would be stronger lifting weights than, than, I, than I am right now. Or what, what gives? You know, like, when is all this going to pay off? But you, you, we all know that to be healthier, you know, physically, it's a long, slow process. It's, it's not days and weeks, but it's months and years. And if you stay at it, those, those things will begin to take place. Um, for you who are discouraged... And doubting the power of the resurrection, could it be that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually at work in you this morning, though maybe it's happening in a different and slower and messier way than you expected? Um, Rather than just days and weeks, it's months and really years and really a lifetime of change. And there's something about this process of sanctification that is different than our personal uh, commitment to be healthy physically in the new year. Uh, the quest to get healthy is all on us. It's all our work. Sanctification is the work of God's grace inside of us. So much so that the Apostle Paul can say in Philippians that I am sure of this, that he who began that good work in you is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Um, If you've given your life to Christ, the Spirit of God is at work inside of you. He's transforming you, and He Himself guarantees that it will be completed. Um, Could it be that this process of change is happening? The power of the resurrection is present in your life. It's just slower and different and maybe even messier than you realized. Our doubts can be intellectual, experiential. What's the truth? What's the truth? The good news about the resurrection is that we actually have proof that it's true. And we see this in a couple ways. First, we have proof from God's promises. Look back at our passage, verses 5 to 7. The angels tell the women when, go to, when they go to the tomb, they're in doubt, they're perplexed. Like, what, what's going on? They, verse 5, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified. And on the third day rise. Remember how he told you. Uh, Throughout his ministry multiple times. Jesus said. Hey this is how it's going to be. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. On the third day I'm going to rise again. 
multiple times explicitly to his followers. They didn't have ears to hear. But even before the earthly ministry of Jesus, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, what's considered the first mention of the gospel, God promises that the offspring of the woman in the beginning chapters of Genesis would ultimately crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. Um, That God would send one to fully and finally defeat sin and reverse this curse of evil that Adam and Eve brought into the world. This was in seed form all the way back in Genesis 3, ultimately a resurrection promise. The first promise of rescue, of good news coming. Uh, God promised that the resurrection would happen and it did. Yesterday afternoon I walked in the door after being uh, out at a a meeting all day long and... um, my youngest daughter asked me to come outside and play with her almost immediately after I walked in the door. And in true dad fashion, I said, yes, just give me a few minutes. And she agreed, okay, great. Um, sure enough, as I'm prone to do, um, I start talking to Aaron for a few minutes. There's you know, a stack of mail on the counter, start looking through the stack of mail, go change my clothes, do a few other things. And my five-year-old knows me well enough at this point to know when I'm about to forget to do something. And so she's become very persistent. It's amazing. So she says, Dad, when are we going to go outside and play? And because of her persistence, we end up going outside and playing. Um, if she had not reminded me and stayed on me, there's a good chance I would have just gotten totally distracted and forgotten. That's not how God works. Jesus promised that he would walk out of the grave, that he would come alive again. And we didn't have to remind him or beg him, or try to keep him focused on his mission. It's actually quite the opposite, that he did that in spite of us, in spite of our forgetting his promises, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our betrayal. In his last moments, he kept that promise, and he rose from the grave. God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises. There's proof of the resurrection and the promises of God. He said he'd do it, and he did it. And there's proof from history. There's proof from history. After our passage, this is on your bulletin, later on in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus appears to the disciples and shares a meal with them. We looked at this in our Meals with Jesus series back in the fall. Look at verse 36. So it says, As they, the disciples, were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. He physically appears, proves it in real time, in real space, in history, They see him, they touch him, they eat a meal with him. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, which will be a great chapter to read through later this afternoon. We've referenced it multiple times in this service. Um, Paul says that Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And Paul says, many of whom are still alive. He names some of them by name. Implication, go ask him. He really appeared. And what happens after Jesus appears to these eyewitnesses after his resurrection. What happens to the church? Because if it wasn't true, you can guess what would have happened. The church would disappear. But he appears to these eyewitnesses and the church grows 
exponentially. A question you have to wrestle with, wrestle with if you deny the resurrection is how do you explain the explosive growth of the church after the resurrection? It's because it's true. It's because it really happened. He really rose from the grave. It's proven in history. We moved here just about five and a half years ago and live in a house just off Lawrence Road. And uh, as we were talking to people about the area, it's kind of like looking for a house and then getting settled in, you know, Everyone would say, look, all right, just get ready. Get ready. Hey, Lawrence Road, it's about to explode. It's about to just take off. It's going to be amazing. It's the next spot in town. There's just going to be unbelievable restaurants and retail and construction and development. It's just going to be amazing. And I remember just looking around at Lawrence Road. I'm thinking, this road? This Lawrence Road? You sure? Yeah, just, just wait. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And five and a half years later, still in process for sure, but you can just drive down Lawrence Road and see that they were right. You've got, you know, the, a new Swamp Rabbit Trail running right next to Lawrence Road. You've got places like Home Team Barbecue and that whole complex. Um, and and there, there's all this construction that's going on right now and more to come. And it seems like there's always uh, a press release of a new development that is that, a, a new vision for a new development or one that is already under construction. But history is proving that the transformation of Lawrence Road, it's, it's really happening. History has proven it. History has proven that the resurrection is true. And there are a few specific ways in which that really matters for you. Here's why this matters for you. We could say a lot. Let me just say four things. First thing is this. It means that your sin really has been dealt with. The resurrection is true and that means your sin really has been dealt with. This is not just like Uh, an option for a coping mechanism for guilt and shame that will help you feel better about yourself. This is true history that means your sin has been dealt with. Real forgiveness because of the cross and resurrection. Uh, No exceptions to that. You've been forgiven because the resurrection really happened. Your sin's been dealt with. That's the first thing. Secondly, God is at work changing you. The resurrection guarantees it's going to be completed. Um, when, you're, when you're fighting your sin, literally in that moment of temptation where you're thinking, everything inside of me is screaming to give in to this temptation, whatever it is for you, in that moment you have to remember that the same power that brought Jesus out of that tomb is the power that is inside of you by the Spirit of God and that equips you and enables you to say no to that temptation. You really can say no. You have the Spirit of God inside of you Fighting with you and for you, God is at work changing you. Romans 6 says we have been united with Jesus in a death like his and also in a resurrection like his. You are united to Jesus. You have his power working in you, changing you, allowing you to say no to sin. That's the second thing. Third thing, you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of dying. If you are in Christ, the Bible says that one day you too will be resurrected in a glorified made new body and get to spend eternity with God and his people in a real body. Death is not the end for you. You don't have to be afraid of death. That's the third thing. Fourth thing. Despair does not have the final word. Despair does not have the final word. No matter how hard this life gets, no matter how intense the fog of depression or despair or self-doubt you feel like you just cannot shake 
no matter how difficult that feels, how thick that feels over you, despair does not have the final word. Because of the resurrection, there is always hope. It guarantees a perfect eternity. And those things sound great. How do we access them? How do we tap into that? God in his kindness has given us like practical ways to step into that work that he's doing. And you're doing one of them right now by being here in worship. Uh, When we get together and sing and confess and pray and listen to the Bible preached together and come around this table and take the Lord's Supper together, little by little, as we gather, the Holy Spirit meets us and does this transformative resurrection work in our lives. That's why it's super important to be here. God meets us in a special way when we're together. That's one of the ways he's given us to tap into this resurrection power. Another way that he's given us is meaningful life together with other Christians. Uh, Call this fellowship. um, Where we journey together in life. We just share the mundane things and the big things of life. We confess our sins to each other. We support each other and encourage each other. Sometimes it's like we're physically holding each other up. Sometimes we rebuke and we challenge each other. Help us to see things clearly that we wouldn't otherwise see and the spirit of God uses that little by little to bring about our transformation to help us to grow in ways we otherwise wouldn't meaningful life with other Christians and then third another way that he's given us to to tap into this resurrection power is prayer and personal bible study Uh, to to have intimate personal encounters with God where we learn to, to feel and experience his love And his grace and his truth deep inside our hearts. The spirit uses that little by little over time. To help us tap into the resurrection power that is ours in Jesus. All right, what and what do you do if you're still you're still tracking? Yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. But uh, what do you do if your heart just feels frozen? Feels cold. Uh, There's a there's a beautiful hymn. It's called, Lord Dissolve My Frozen Heart. And I want to read it for you. It says, Lord, dissolve my frozen heart by the beams of love divine. This alone can warmth and part to dissolve a heart like mine. Oh, that love, how vast it is. Vast it seems, though known in part. Strange indeed if love like this should not melt the frozen heart. The love of Christ passes knowledge. The love of Christ passes fear. The love of Christ hits a man's heart. It pierces him like a spear. Savior, let thy love be felt. Let its power be felt by me. Then my frozen heart shall melt. Melt in love, O Lord, to thee. Um, If your heart feels frozen and you're longing for what we're saying to be true... Uh, hold it up to the love of God in Jesus and it will begin to melt. Uh, When we recite in the creed that we believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead, we are confessing that the resurrection is true and that this is the place where we find real power for real transformation. And that is what is on offer for you this morning. Once you receive it by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that your son Jesus really walked out of the tomb. 
that it was a real resurrection. We just confess that we believe it. Would you help our unbelief? God, would you meet us in our doubts, whether they're intellectual or experiential? God, if there are those here this morning who don't believe, would you give them the gift of faith that they might believe for the first time? If there are those who are here this morning who believe, but their heart just feels frozen, God, would you give them an encounter with your love that is so warm that it begins to melt their frozen heart? And Father, even as we prepare to come to the table now, would you do just that through this means of grace? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the good news of Jesus fresh on our minds and hearts, let's be still before the Lord and reflect on what we just heard and prepare our hearts to come to the table.